the, the judiciary in Israel, the Supreme Court and the Attorney General, are an absolute woke mess. They're comprised mostly of Ashkenazi Jews, almost all secular, exclusively liberal. Uh, and they are self-perpetuating. You know, in the United States, you have a Supreme Court that is a decided number. It happens to be nine. Uh, an odd number, so it's pretty easy for them to decide you know, uh, uh, the, uh, when a majority uh, prevails. Uh, and uh, in Israel, I think it's 20-some-odd. But the 20-some-odd is really not a real number because the attorney general can determine how many hear any particular case. They can have as few as three hear a case. So the attorney general can pick the three that are most likely to give the verdict that he or she wants on any particular case, which is just asinine. But it's a committee that, uh, that is part of this cabal of liberals that decides who gets to serve on this court. In the United States, to be a, a, a member of the Supreme Court justice, you have to be nominated by the person who won the most uh, votes as president of the United States. And then you have to be affirmed by the Senate. Good. There is no such thing in Israel. It's just a group of people that are, uh, that are not under any legislative branch. Uh, nobody ever votes for the committee that, uh, that elects them, and no one uh, votes to oversee them. They have no democracy associated with them at all. And so to say that you need no judicial reform, it needs to stay the way it is to save democracy, is asinine. And so we do have, Israel does have a problem. Israel's other problem is it doesn't have a constitution. So the Supreme Court has no basis to render any decision other than that's my opinion. And as it turns out, because there's no basis for any decision other than that's my opinion, that's what I want, the Attorney General is actually the most powerful person in Israel because they can overturn any law, any edict, anything based upon nothing other than their opinion. So Israel has to have judicial reform, and Israel also needs a constitution. So that's my view on, on all of this, and I'm just disgusted by the, uh, the lengths that the liberals have gone to try to destroy Israel. It's like the liberals lost the last election uh, handedly, they can't handle the fact that they lost, and now they're playing self-righteous by uh, being uh, disruptive and taking the country to the point that it is a laughingstock in the world and is self-disintegrating. You have enough enemies. You don't need to be destroying yourselves. Next mm -hmm. item in the news. Uh, and by the way, I'm, I'm not a Netanyahu fan. I'm, I'm not a – I'm most certainly opposed to his coalition. I think he has a bunch of nutcases in his coalition. I, I, I wouldn't trust any of them. I'd count my fingers after a handshake with any of them. Um, I think that, uh, that putting together a coalition that includes the Haredim, the religious parties, is asinine. Uh, but I will say that this coalition is much more unified – I mean, eminently more unified than the last one that uh, included liberals, conservatives, and the Muslim uh, Ram party. But uh, the religious are exceedingly counterproductive to the well-being of Israel. 
The United States is uh, um, has uh, two enormous problems at the uh, at the moment, um, and it doesn't seem to have a plan for either one of the two. We have said for some time that America is going to have a complete and utter collapse financially. Uh, that America's uh, currency is going to collapse. Our economy is going to collapse. It's going to be a far worse collapse than 1929, and there will be no recovery from it. Uh, what will ultimately happen is the Great Reset, where uh, um, a replacement currency will be offered, debts will be forgiven, and uh, you will be at all electronic currency where the government can control everything in terms of who has money and who does not. Uh, mm -hmm. In the midst of this, we have been warning that BRIC, uh, which is a consortium initially of uh, Brazil, uh, B, Russia uh, for the R, I for uh, uh, India, uh, and uh, uh, C for China, uh, was about ready to drive uh, the international uh, economic bus and that their first maneuver would be to get enough countries together where they could bypass SWIFT, which is the uh, clearing uh, corporation for international trade, and they would bypass petrodollars being the case with OPEC and particularly with Saudi Arabia. So what did China do last week? They initiated a uh, diplomacy between the two most formidable Saudi. OPEC yeah. members. Uh, Iran and Saudi Arabia. And by doing that, and by them being the orchestrators of it, and China already being Saudi Arabia's largest customer, and, uh, and China being uh, second only to Russia in terms of their relationship uh, with uh, Iran, it uh, put the United States at great peril. And this administration doesn't seem to know it and is clapping their hands and saying, wonderful, it's a, the, the numbskull that is our, our press secretary is just saying, oh, we, we embrace it because it, it speaks of stability in the Middle East. No, it speaks of the collapse of the U.S. economy. And there's nothing America can do about it. Uh, now, all the while, we've had two California banks, one of which is an international bank having branches around the world, collapse with the Federal Reserve mm -hmm. saying, we're not doing squat about it. Too bad for you. And this particular bank, in particular the uh, Silicon Valley Bank, I mean, it was so woke, they went broke. They had the most liberal retards on that board and were so interested in social engineering, they forgot the rules of banking. They, this is a bank that I think gave almost $50 million to Black Lives Matter. Uh, they're so woke, they went broke. And crypto crippled them. They uh, are so in yeah. love with uh, crypto because of all of the fake money that crypto put into the bank and because so many of their favorite politicians, and these were a lot of politicians on this particular bank, were financed by the, uh, the large uh, crypto companies, which is nothing but snake oil. And so the crypto yeah, began to, uh, to crumble. The bank's woke policies uh, had no, uh, uh, no economic viability. 
The bank had no liquidity. There was a run on the bank. It collapsed. And there was no buyout and no uh, Federal Reserve to step in and help them. Now, the immediately after that, the next step of the, uh, of the equation is that Credit Suisse, which is one of the most formidable banks in the, uh, in the world, uh, I lost, what, about a half of its share value in the course of a day. And it was uh, very close to having a run on it where it would have a liquidity crisis and collapse. Now, this is one of the most respected international banks in the world. If Credit Suisse fails, you are going to have an avalanche of bank failures. So what does the, uh, the uh, world players do? They decide, well, we'll have Switzerland invest $50 billion into Credit Suisse. Well, <laughs> that means that, that they have now pretend money for their liquidity and that the, uh, uh, the government of Switzerland has gone all in on a bad deal. Now, that puts the entire country at risk. And so what's next? So Signature Bank was uh, the answer, was uh, next. And so now the plan is, because these things are falling like dominoes, that we'd go back to the uh, uh, 1980s and we would return to the strategy of having barely healthy banks acquire really sick banks to turn the almost healthy banks into sick banks. That's what we uh, did to solve that problem. We have Bank yeah. of America now, uh, which, by the way, doesn't exist. Bank of America was bought by or absorbed into Nations Bank. Uh, and uh, Nations Bank just liked the name Bank of America better, so it created the illusion that Bank of America still exists, but it doesn't. Uh, but nonetheless, the, the old Nations Bank, now called Bank of America, was uh, told to buy Signature Bank so that it does not collapse. But with the money that we've squandered, uh, with uh, the, uh, the stupid reaction to COVID uh, and shutting businesses down, trying to govern the economy as the politicians knew what they were doing, and then this budget by Biden where he wants to double t capital gains rate. I mean, it's guaranteed that will destroy the economy. Nobody Where he Nobody wants to, uh, to double the tax rates on uh, wealthy individuals as if paying their fair share is going, to be prosper is going to bring prosperity as if poor people started businesses or funded businesses. It, it is just utterly asinine. And all the while he wants to take defense spending along with our spine apparatus to well over a trillion dollars a year. Guaranteed uh, collapse. Now, along these lines, you have uh, Z going back to Russia. He's going to be there, I think, on Monday. He is the president's mm -hmm. premier of uh, China. Uh, and he's already had discussions with Russia about uh, taking sides in, uh, in that war. That is a war that well, Russia or China will give lip service to. Well, well you guys should negotiate some kind of a political statement. That is a war that does China enormous good because what it does is it destroys America. America is literally creating its own grave by uh, having uh, uh, forced Russia into the Ukraine 
and then uh, spending hundreds of billions of dollars arming the Ukraine, killing, creating these killing fields. And then with all the financial sanctions against uh, Russia and everybody associated with Russia, we've shown ourselves to be somebody who can't be trusted. And so it is exacerbating the trend toward the BRIC alternative on the reserve currency, which would destroy America's ability to uh, fund its debt, which brings the whole house of cards down. Uh, now, in the midst of all this, the United States, because we like to pin the, uh, the tail on a donkey, we want it to be, and you read anything in the United States, it's Putin's war. It's no more Putin's war than a man in the moon. This is uh, a war that was conceived by George W. Bush and advanced by Lindsey Graham and uh, John McCain and, and by the Obama administration and then by the uh, Obama befuddlers. And what we're trying to do here is, is to say this is Putin's war, so we now have the Hague going to issue an arrest warrant for Putin as a war criminal for some act uh, some children allegedly oh, yeah. were, were brought into Russia. No one knows if it's true. No one. I mean, the first casualty of this war was the truth, and the biggest propaganda agency happened to be in the United States. So we haven't a clue what's, uh, what's true in uh, this war. It, it, you almost have to be careful not to make a statement. Matter of fact, uh, the news out of the Ukraine uh, this week is that one of the best commanders that uh, the Ukraine has had came out and said, listen, uh, this is not going the way that it's being reported. I had 500 uh, men assigned to me, and all 500 are either dead or wounded to the point that they can't uh, engage anymore. And so they're sending new recruits to me that are unwilling to even fire the gun. And you say, why won't you shoot? I don't like the sound of it. Why won't you throw a grenade? I'm afraid of it. So they have no training. Hey, what am insane. I going to do? Leave them in a battle to, to just sit there and die? Or just so be slaughtered. The Ukraine does not want to report their own casualties. So he was dismissed as a, uh, as a commander, uh, not because of incompetence, but because he was honest. Right. Uh, exceedingly sad situation. And it's a wonder, I mean, it's a curiosity. What is he going to do relative to his visit with Russia? Is he going to supply them with, uh, with weapons? Is he going to counter the U.S.? Because the longer this war goes on, the better it is for China because their only competitor in terms of world power has been the United States and its league with Europe, and the United States and Europe are destroying themselves over this war. So it is in his interest that it continues, but he doesn't want to completely bankrupt the United States with his deal with Iran and with Saudi Arabia. And now with Russia, he could easily pull the carpet under the petrodollar and bankrupt the United States. But will he do so, yeah, will he do so when the United States is still his largest customer? You know, will he invade yeah, my question. Taiwan yeah. when he has no real reason to do so? He already has too much land, not too little land. He has too many people, not too few people. He has nothing to gain to invade uh, Taiwan except ego. Is he willing to risk 
the lives of of, uh, of what you know could be several hundred thousand Chinese soldiers for the ego points of uh, of integrating and dominating Taiwan. It wouldn't make sense rationally. So what is his game? And how is he going to play his cards? It's very interesting. So the world all around us falling apart, falling apart in Israel, which we care deeply about, falling apart in America, which uh, unfortunately we, we live, and, uh, and its economy is, it in, uh, is in yeah. dire peril. Uh, and it is uh, it has become the ultimate belligerent in the world, uh, and it's we actually have our future now in the hands of uh, of despots, the despots of of Iran, Saudi Arabia, China, and Russia hold the cards in terms of the future of the United States. Uh, they could end the U.S. economy collectively in 15 minutes. Uh, that's not a good position to uh, to be in. So that's my review of the news. Uh, it's uh, mm-hmm. it's not a uh, it's not a good time, um, and we know where it's where it's headed. Uh, you know, it's headed to a global uh, catastrophe, um, particularly on Israel. Uh, we're uh, nearing the time of uh, of Jacob's troubles. There's only ten years between now and the time that Yahweh returns. The last three and a half of it are going to be miserable for Israel. How uh, things uh, wind down over the next three years is, is not specified, but you don't, you don't typically expect a cataclysmic uh, collapse. You, you, you normally witness steps along the way. Those steps are accelerating. They're, uh, they're uh, yeah, happening more in a more pronounced and more dramatic way uh, than uh, you would have anticipated for a, uh, a global calamity starting in uh, in 2029 and into 2030. Anything you want to add to the uh, that recap of the news? No, I, I was I was curious is uh, is so much of China is built on selling stuff to us is there somebody they can sell enough of that stuff to you know to keep their economy going afterwards but yeah. it may not even it may be uh, superfluous. I mean they yeah. don't care. Yeah, it's a funny thing for for me. I, I just have my, my uh, one of my pastimes, like it is yours, Kirk, is golf. So mm-hmm. I have watched mm-hmm. uh, live golf uh, with considerable interest because everybody that I actually enjoy, because sports are is a distraction, and we have to have distractions in life, uh, otherwise you, you'd go yeah. absolutely crazy. So the sports is is oh, a yeah. distraction. My favorite sport to watch is golf. I have given up on the PGA Tour. I don't watch any events on the PGA Tour. I actually watch uh, Live Golf. And you might say, how can you do that, knowing that it's funded by the, uh, the Saudi Arabians, who are responsible for so much bad stuff here. They, you know, they uh, killed a, uh, a journalist. Well, the United States <laughs> kills far more people. But, you know, I, I always re- respond to saying the same thing. So are you more upset that Saudi Arabia is taking their money and spending it on golfers? Or are you more upset the United States is sending them $100 billion worth of weapons and is enriching them beyond belief and is doing everything, selling out the future of our nation just to keep them on the petrodollar by uh, promising to defend them against all foes? I mean, where is your concern? Ascending hundreds of billions of dollars to them and hundreds of billions of dollars in weapons? Uh, and begging them for uh, all manner of uh, of support, or is it 
on them spending a billion dollars on golfers. And do you know that if you really torque them off Mm -hmm. and they say, I don't need you anymore, I don't want you anymore, you're an irritant, and they say, we're going to accept other currencies other than the dollar to buy oil, that our economy is over, that you have no more, for example, PGA Tour, because you have no sponsors? Yeah. Can you think it through? This is the situation we're in. Well, that's probably rather hypocritical. Let me just say one other thing. No one brought this up is how hypocritical the guys from the European tour who play in America, and at the end of every year they go over for their big event uh, in uh, not in Saudi Arabia but in the Middle East and and deal with the same Muslims. I mean, they don't don't seem taking their money is no big deal. Well, the the European tour, yeah, the European tour has no issue against. Uh, live golf other than the PGA tour has responded in, improperly and all the way along, along yeah. and uh, has uh, has co-opted everybody in terms of every sponsor and the media and now the European tour saying no 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 can't can't allow them to uh, integrate and play with us so that's the only reason that they're opposed to it otherwise they yeah, uh, yeah they, it's pure hypocrisy Aramco is a uh, is a significant funder of uh, of all the uh, the tours. Aramco is uh, Saudi Arabia, so sure. yeah, it's it's uh, it's silly. All right, yeah. uh, I, Kirk, we're going to return to uh, Q and A. Um, I'm going to see if I can upset more people. Now, you know, I, I guess a little bit of a, of an overview is uh, is important. Uh, okay, please. Uh, I uh, I spent the last show. Uh, sharing my conclusions on uh, and insights into the questions being asked. And what I did is rather than saying uh, I'm dictatorial and uh, this is the answer uh, with no explanation, what I said is, you know, that's an interesting question. You can look at it from the following perspective. This, these are, are how I have gone about trying to understand this. This is where I think the, uh, the information leads and try to use it as a teaching experience so that that those who are listening would be better equipped to make their own decisions because i think if you do that if you equip people to make their own information as opposed to you just tell them the answer they're far better off everybody's agreed and so that was the approach that we uh, we took and and um one of the things that pretty much everybody knows about me is that uh, I'm going to go where the words lead. That's just where I'm going to do. And if you uh, push back and uh, and then try to demean me or uh, or undermine my credibility, which I only care about because of the breadth of work no. at yada yada and that there is no other replacement mm-hmm. for it anywhere in the world – so yes. I care deeply about it for those reasons, mm-hmm. uh, then I'm going to double down on you. I'm not going to back away. I'm just going to double down on you. And, uh, and that's what will happen in, uh, in this particular case for those that have uh, got themselves all in a twit over uh, the discussion be- of uh, you know, what was really going on between uh, Joe Dode and, John- and uh, Jonathan. And, and in that case, they lost sight of the big picture. The big picture in that story is magnificent. 
You know, what you had is a story that is so essential for the next 10 years. Israel and Yahweh are going to trauma bond. Trauma bonding is an exceedingly effective way to bring people together. Jonathan and Doe, David, trauma bonded. And while it's not always good, if you're trauma bonding with the right person, it is a, uh, a spectacular result. Uh, if people go through a difficult experience together, then you know that you can trust that person. Right. And, and, you know, of all the stories that are told in the Torah and Prophets, one of the really wonderful people is Jonathan. Damn, if I had been around, I might have fallen in love with the guy too. <laughs> he risked it all to do the right thing for someone he cared about. Right. He's a man of character. He's a man with courage. He was bright. He was articulate. He was outspoken. He cared deeply about Yahweh. He knew him, respected him. He's a good man. He's an attractive sort of a guy and the right sort of a guy to trauma bond with. And the, it's not just that that story is so essential for what's going to happen to Jews over the next 10 years. The world as a whole is going to go through tremendous trauma, but nothing compared to what's going to happen to Jews. This is Satan's last gasp. He can't win with the majority vote. Yeah, he's going to get the vast majority of Jews. He's going to get all the progressives, and he can have them. He's going to get all the Herodim, and he can have them. He's going to win at least 80%. And of those who it is even possible for them to be open-minded enough to want to get to know Yahweh, except that Yahweh has a name and that it's important, that there are five conditions of the covenant and five benefits, and those conditions are fulfilled through the Moed Mikre, and that we can tell that Yahweh is coming back on Yom Kippurim in year 6,000 Yah, October 2nd, 2033, that because of those things that are so inconsistent with Jewish culture, Jewish society, Jewish religion, that it's probably in the range of 5% at the most of the 20%, we're dealing with 1% of Jews worldwide mm -hmm. who will even be receptive. And that's 70,000 out of, uh, out of 7 million or you know, 14,000 out of 14 million. It's not a lot. And that's just the ones where it's even possible that Yahweh's message is going to resonate. And so we're going to continue to focus on those individuals because, well, Yahweh is not running a popularity contest and is looking for qualities that were reflected in Jonathan, qualities that were reflected in Dode. There isn't another voice out there or series of books out there conveying Yahweh's 
written testimony to us, translating it in an amplified, accurate, and complete fashion, and then sharing commentary and insights on what it means to our lives today, and particularly the lives of God's people. And so that is the mission that we're on. We want Yahweh to be pleased when he returns on Yom Kippurim, that there, that the quality of the people that join him is pleasing to him. Here, here. That's that's what we're about, and nothing anybody says or does is going to stand in the way of that. You know, nope. you want you want to leave, you want to disparage me. Go. The door's open. Yep. Go. Be careful, though. Because there's been a lot said about what we're doing. Right. And there isn't anybody else doing it. And uh, my guess is that 99% of what you've come to know about God, you've learned here. I would have to agree with that, for sure. So be careful. If you want to go, go quietly. That would be my advice. Don't go trying to kick uh, dirt in our faces. But, you know, it's free world. You can do what you want. All right. So with that said, um, go ahead. Uh, Dee, I know we only got through about half the questions last week. Let's see if we can stir up some more dust. All right. <laughs> this is from Mary P. She says, hello, I have a question. At some mm-hmm. point, probably more than once, I think Craig mentioned that covenant members get to go home on Teruah a few years ahead of Yahweh's return, before mm-hmm. the worst of Jacob's troubles. She would like the passages where this could be found. Okay. Uh, initially, you're drawn to this idea of what the Christian would call the rapture uh, because mm-hmm. of, uh, of what's in the, uh, the Christian New Testament. And then you very quickly learn, if you're open-minded, that Paul's testimony on it uh, – uh, and Thessalonians is where he talks about it. And he, he actually says, we who are alive will be drawn up first, and then the blink of an eye, other people. And he calls it a, uh, uh, a rapture, which is a violet uh, snatching away. Uh, he was wrong. Yeah. He was wrong. Mm-hmm. False prophecy. Proved that he was yeah. not speaking for Yahweh. All right. So you have to now discard everything that Paul had to say. He proved that he's a false prophet. So then you turn, you know, the next thing you talk about uh, and that, they, uh, that permeates our society in terms of an awareness, because this is something that's not talked about at all in Judaism, not talked at all about in Islam, only talked about in Christianity, and the second source would be Revelation. And there it says, you know, you're going to be uh, uh, kept out. The, uh, you know, it goes through the various... Uh, uh, church ages and, uh, and, and it, uh, ending with uh, Laodicea and says that, you know, uh, you're, uh, I'm knocking at the door, you don't hear me, so, uh, you know, uh, boo-hoo for you. Uh, and, uh, I, and it speaks of them being kept out of this uh, time. But the problem is the number one text upon which Revelation is based is Ezekiel. It's not that Ezekiel... Failed the test of a prophet. To fail the test of a prophet, you get one statement that's historically <laughs> inaccurate, one statement that is prophetically inaccurate, and, uh, and yeah. you have failed. You are not a prophet, uh, and you are worse than death. 
uh, Ezekiel didn't get any statement regarding history correct. He didn't get his own current events correct, and he got nothing about uh, the future correct. He is an absolute zero, and almost everything he says is diametrically opposed to God. So right. the very fact that it cites Ezekiel, talks about the Magog War, for example, there is no Gog, there is no Magog, there will be no Magog War. It's, it's all a pile of rubbish. So, Ezekiel, so Revelation is not trustworthy. Oop. Okay, so her question was, <laughs> I must, maybe I should apologize, because here I'm, I'm there wasn't really a quick answer to her question, and rather than giving the quick answer, I'm giving a whole story here. So I <laughs> okay. hope you all enjoyed the, the, the no, story. No. Go, 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 uh, go. I, I enjoy yeah, the, uh, the, the history. How do you come to these things? All right. The, the, right. the most interesting proof text for the, uh, the rapture is uh, uh, this, not rapture, but the harvest of saved souls on Teruah, mm-hmm. uh, is through Yahweh's own discussion of Teruah, uh, through his prophets, uh, but I personally think that uh, Yerme, uh, not Yerme, uh, Yashaya, Isaiah 17 is, is probably my favorite because it sets text yes. of time. It gives you a, a, a scale of the number of individuals. It's discussed in a lot of places, but let me share with you because uh, it's uh, Yashaya 17 uh, towards the beginning of the uh, the chapter, and uh, I'll uh, I'll share my thoughts. It says the children of Israel. Those individuals who engage and endure with God shall actually continue to exist, prophetically declares Yahweh of the vast array of messengers and envoys. And it will actually come to pass in that day that the size of Yahweh, Israel, will be decreased to the point of no longer being sustainable. And the fattest, best protected, most important midsection of Israel's body shall be leaned, shrinking in size. Well, the United States and the Supreme Court of uh, Israel uh, collectively uh, forced some 20,000 Israeli settlers out of uh, northern Gaza, made them give up their homes, their farms, their businesses, uh, and retreat. And so the western part of Israel at its midsection is uh, already thin. I think it's about 10 miles wide at this point. And the United States and Europe and, of course, the uh, Islamic countries are pushing very hard for a two-state final solution where the what's called the West Bank, which was uh, under the control of uh, Jordan, um, is given to the Fakistinians. And... If that occurs, Israel is exactly this. So if the world forces Israel into this, then Israel will be narrowed at the midsection where country is no longer viable. I mean, if you look at what happened, what was the consequence of the United States and the Supreme Court of Israel collectively deciding that Israel should abandon Gaza and allow, uh, the, uh, allow Hamas to uh, control Gaza? Unmitigated hell for the people in Gaza. They were the, rather than being the great victors, oh, liberated, free at last, no. They live a hellish life. Hamas is a disgusting, reprehensible 
organization in terms of the treatment of its own people. And in addition to that, Israel is pummeled regularly with Hamas terrorists and Hamas rockets. And it's only going to get worse. So the world played that game. And it failed miserably. So what does the world want to do? Play the same game. We'll just play it on the other side of Israel. And this notion that, well, that's controlled by the Palestinian Authority, and they're better. No, they're not. And by the way, if there was, if that was separated from Israel today and the IDF, the Israel Defense Forces, it would be controlled by Hamas in 15 minutes. They're vastly more popular. Mm-hmm. The only reason it's not controlled by Hamas at this moment is the IDF precludes that from happening. But if it was given to the Fakistinians, it would instantly be controlled by, uh, by Hamas, and Israel would be in a pincher, uh, narrowed at the waist, and totally and completely indefensible. That's what this is talking about. And it's going to occur sometime over the, uh, the next uh, probably uh, four to five years. And it shall be like the gathering in and receiving of a harvest. So at the time that Israel is shrunk in size, then there will be a gathering in and receiving of a harvest, reaping the grain from the chaff, grain or saved souls, chaff are worthless souls, in season, in the proper time, cutting it away so as to remove it from a vexing time of grief thereby establishing and validating the standing grain. And with his sacrificial lamb, his strong arm and the ability to shoulder burdens and his visible appearance is light, he will be collecting and harvesting the first fruits. And it shall be a gleaning, a smaller secondary harvest of ears of grain in the valley of Raphaim in the midst of souls destined to die. Then in him, in Jacob, Yisrael and the covenant will be those who leave, gleanings, smaller secondary harvests, as in going around and encompassing and shaking off as a means of harvesting an olive tree. Two or three ripe olives in the top uppermost branch, four or five on the fruitful branches which are separated, prophetically declares Yahweh, God of Yisrael. When he talks about two or three, I think he's speaking of two or three thousand. When he speaks of four or five, mm-hmm. I think that's four or five thousand. I think collectively, if you take the midpoint of, uh, of these things, I think he's talking about seven or eight thousand people. Yeah, good think, number uh, both. Yeah, that yeah. could be collectively among all Yisraelites. It could be collectively between Yisraelites uh, and uh, Goyim. Uh, mm-hmm. The the two to three thousand could be uh, Yahuda, and the four to five could be Yisrael, and the difference of uh, one tribe versus uh, uh, those mm-hmm. from uh, the other eleven. Um, those are all possibilities. It does not matter to us whether it is 7,000 Yahud or 2,000 Yahud and 4,000 uh, Israelites and 
a smattering of Goya. doesn't matter. It's, that is not part of our responsibility. Our responsibility is to get the message out about this so that everyone who is open-minded and receptive and is interested in knowing God and is willing to do the work, invest the time to come to know what he is offering and what he expects in return, that so long as we've done our utmost to maximize the opportunity for people to be among that harvest, we've completed our mission. That's all that we can do. We're not going to compel anybody to make this choice. We can simply convey the information and let people choose as they will. Why anybody would choose not Yahweh, I have no idea. He's wonderful. He's fun. He's brilliant. He's uplifting. He's generous. He's fair. He's just everything you would ever want in a father and more. But nonetheless, none of the religious will, will even say his name. None of the secular even know who he is. And there's a very small number of Jews that are interested in it. And that, now, that number is going to grow as part of this trauma bonding, which means that that whole discussion we, we had last week about the relationship between these two remarkable men, uh, Jonathan and David, means a lot. That is where Israel is headed. And hopefully, they trauma bond together. Oh, that's my uh, answer. Um, does anybody want to add something to that? <laughs> no. no. That's good. You can tell I'm rather passionate about this stuff. I, I like it. I, 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 feel, I, I feel a tremendous desire to learn and a passion to share. Uh, and, in fact, the D I sent you today um, uh, something I wrote this morning about <clears throat> the whole mm-hmm. premise of what we're doing and why we're doing it. Maybe sometime during this program we'll come to a question where that's pertinent to, uh, to share. But okay. one of the goals here is to um, no longer be needed. Now, this is, this is the best job in the world, best job I've ever had. I would do this job if no one was listening uh, but my, uh, my two dogs and my wife. Not necessarily in that order, but my wife and my, uh, my two dogs. I would do it if I was the only person listening. It's fun. No. But the, it is. But... Somewhere along the way, um, Yahweh made it more responsible, more responsibility, and a little less fun, more serious. Because this was exceedingly, is exceedingly important to him. And so he revealed through his prophets 3,000 years ago what we were going to be doing. And when God says something like that, you'd have to be the biggest nincompoop in the world to let him down. Do you want to be the first false prophecy that God makes is because you were stupid? No. So uh, what, I'm, what I'm hoping to do is with the time we have remaining to do the best job possible of sharing knowledge 
Uh, and then helping people with insights and their thought process through commentary, like shows like this, so that you can go from not knowing to knowing and then make the transition from knowing to understanding. Because once you understand, I'm irrelevant to you. You are on your own. We can have a fun discussion, but you are self-sufficient in your relationship with Yahweh, and you're self-sufficient in terms of bringing others into the covenant family. I think right. that's the way I ended the book on uh, Ezekiel. I said, okay, the story is over. We made it through the end of the book. And so there's now some questions that linger. And the last line of what is an 1,100-page analysis of Ezekiel is, will there be anybody celebrating Sukkah who will turn to you and say, thank you, based upon what you did, I'm here today. And so that really is the, the goal here, is if you could be a good enough teacher and more and more people understand that there are many of us out there helping Yisrael and Yahuda uh, reconcile the relationship with Yahweh. So the ultimate goal is to, is to no longer be needed, to work yourself out of a job. And then it goes... <laughs> back to just being fun and none of the responsibility anymore. So that, uh, that is what we are about. That's why I don't have any short answers. I'm glad. I like to in- appreciate the yeah, I like to. Yeah, me too. <laughs> okay, I have another one. All right. This is by Lee. He says, I have often tried to understand what people mean when they say they are spiritual used mostly by the so-called enlightened, religious as a pedestal to stand over the common people. I understand that our souls are born into a spiritual state of being through our spiritual mother. But isn't that after the death of the physical body? Okay. Um, There are um, different kinds of spirits. Uh, That is one of the reasons why uh, in the, uh, the book of Ezekiel, like I just wrote the back cover for the book, got the second volume of it, and sent it to Jackie today, and said that just because Ezekiel is uh, is a false prophet, just because it is Satan's autobiography and his playbook, is no excuse for turning and said that I don't need to know what it says, uh, because it is the best way to understand how Satan has manipulated the world, especially through religion and politics, over the the past 6,000 years. And one of the things you learn is that Satan does not act alone. He is a spiritual being, likely one of the uh, cherubim that were guarding uh, the, the walls around the garden. And we don't know what number of, uh, of Malak, the Caribbean would be part of the spiritual implements of Yahweh. Uh, he has garnered with him and that uh, support him. Uh, the uh, that a third of the heavenly host that uh, fell thing is in Revelation, and so you can't uh, rely on it. Um, mm-hmm. But clearly, Hasatan is a spiritual being, and he has influence. Uh, so it is possible to be spiritual and not be godly. Now, Yahweh is spirit. 
the set apart spirit is the is our spiritual mother and the most uh, important aspect of uh, of spirituality, if you will, in our life. Uh, and she um, helps to protect, to um, I purify, to make look appear perfect, to enlighten um, the covenant's children. So she plays a tremendous role, just as our Heavenly Father does in our lives when we become part of the covenant. So we do gain, even in this life, a spiritual component with God. So you can have a spiritual component like the religious, where you're, uh, you're associating with Hasatan spirit, or in prior to death, you can have a spiritual relationship with Yahweh and actually have the presence of Yahweh's spirit uh, in you and on you. Uh, we know this for certain because of what Yahweh said with Job when he was eight years old. Yahweh said that he placed his Ruach upon Dod, and the Ruach mm-hmm. never left him. So uh, the spirit is, is there for our benefit. Now, the spirit made Dod look perfect in Yahweh's eyes, but he was hardly perfect. So it is, yeah. you know, we all have a nephesh soul. That's the reservoir of our unique uh, character, persona, our aptitudes, our appetites, our, uh, uh, our, just our personal nature. It's how we uh, observe the world around us and how we respond to it. So we have a nephesh soul, and that soul can benefit from the, uh, the set-apart spirit, and we, we become a kind of a blended being here on earth as part of Yahweh's family. And then when we, with the passing of our physical bodies, which are a tremendous liability, with the passage of those bodies as the covenant family uh, transition from this 3D world into the seven-dimensional realm of Yahweh, then it is a marriage strictly of our souls, which is our consciousness, and uh, spirit. And we become entirely spiritual beings. Now, the advantage of a spiritual being is that it's infinitely more powerful and capable but it's also forever. It's, uh, it's a spiritual being is like light, uh, endures through all time, and also can maneuver in all seven dimensions, of which now we can only maneuver in three. So it is tremendously beneficial. But also, as Einstein explained with the relativity, even in the four-dimensional mm-hmm. realm, he understood uh, energy is, uh, is, and matter are the same things, so our physical bodies and energy are comprised of the same thing, just that energy is a great deal more than is matter. You have to multiply matter times the square of the speed of light to, to amount to the same amount of, uh, of energy. So matter is a diminished part of energy. So this transition from being a material being with a soul to being a spiritual being with a soul is enormously empowering and enriching and uh, enabling uh, for us. So complete answer is you can be spiritual here on earth and be associated with Hasatan. You can be spiritual here on earth and be part of the covenant family. And it's still a blend of your soul and those spirits and on earth still our physical body is a limitation and liability. 
Uh, and then as we transition uh, beyond this uh, 3D realm, those who have associated with Satan spiritually will go to the penitentiary that's akin to a black hole and Sheol, uh, everlasting uh, darkness. Uh, and those who are, are enveloped in uh, Yahweh's spirit, as was uh, Dode, for example, that's how he was anointed, uh, we transition into eternity with, uh, with Yahweh. Very well said. All right. I suppose you have another one. I do. This is by Jim. And okay. we touched on this a little bit last week. He mentioned since World War III will bring on a worldwide conflagration, how do I determine how to protect myself and my family? Should I expect Yahweh to speak to me? Am I supposed to figure it out myself? I can see it coming, but how should I respond? It is very unclear to me. Okay. Yeah, we did talk about this uh, last week. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, we are going to have a, a worldwide uh, collapse. Uh, yeah, I was particularly concerned, not as the world as a whole, but how the world responds to and pummels uh, Israel. And he's going to protect Israel from, uh, from utter demise, although uh, a uh, majority of Jews are going to die in yeah, this so uh, process. Yeah. I think there'll be a much higher percent, percentage of Goyim that die, and obviously more Goyim because they outnumber uh, Jews by uh, several hundred to one. So, um, yes, we are going to have a a worldwide calamity. Um, And uh, Israel will be invaded, uh, uh, likely by by Muslims, uh, because the uh, text of Yeshua 17 speaks of them flooding into Israel after the nation is thinned at the waist and after the uh, the fall of Damascus. Damascus. Um, and I, yeah. yeah, and I, I think that uh, by the way, just speaking of Damascus, because that that is the opening of Isaiah 17, Yeshua 17. It speaks of mm-hmm. uh, Damascus, which is the longest <laughs> continuously existing city uh, in the world, uh, and it talks about it becoming a twisted heap of ruins. And you know, when we uh, translated that uh, three or four years ago. Um, mm-hmm. The obvious was to you look at, uh, at Aleppo and all the other cities around it, and you look at what the uh, the Islamic infighting has done, and you would say, well, they those cities are a twisted heap of ruins. Uh, there's also the possibility that in addition to the Islamic terrorism, that an earthquake is going to uh, pummel them, because if you look at, at what happened in southern Turkey and uh, northern yeah. Syria here mm-hmm. with their their inferior building codes although you know clearly a 7.9 earthquake followed by a 7.5 is is going to wreak havoc no matter where you are Uh, uh, the inferior building codes and the uh, uh, poor quality of of cement and uh, the lack of rebar made a tremendous difference there and uh, and uh, that became a twisted uh, uh, rubble pile and so it is also possible that earthquakes will uh, will bring them uh, down. But when all that occurs, uh, we will have a, an, an Islamic war against uh, Israel. Uh, talks about a flooding in of Muslims. They flood in at such a rate that only Yahweh can stop them. There aren't enough bullets uh, in the IDF to uh, to bring that to a halt. So we will have that, and we're clearly going to have economic collapse. Um, 
and what I've said is that there is no answer in terms of how you protect yourself. I, I, uh, I and, and I want to be very careful. I am not a doomsday prepper. Uh, I don't want to be cast in that role. Uh, and I'm not your financial advisor. I do not want to be cast in that role. Uh, all I would say is that there are some prudent things that one should do. Um, we have now uh, a home garden. My wife, uh, it's uh, her pride and joy. We grow a lot of our own produce now. We, uh, we, have, we have better part of a year's supply of food uh, uh, here. We don't want to overdo either because then you become a target. Uh, we, uh, we are self-sufficient in terms of, uh, of our energy needs. We generate our own power. We, uh, we uh, produce our own water. We have our own sewage system. We, we are pretty much independent, and we live in a very sparsely populated place. I would suggest if you live in a, you know, in a city and you have the ability to get out of the city where I think the chaos is going to be worse, and you can get out a bit into the suburbs that that would be safer for, uh, for you and your family. I think safer is to have some skills, have some tools, uh, and uh, have some seeds and, and have those kinds of things. As, in terms of investments, we've certainly learned that, that uh, cryptocurrency uh, is mostly an illusion, uh, that the, the primary investment tool to stave off uh, destruction of countries has been gold, but uh, countries manipulate gold and they will confiscate gold, and so it's not a perfect solution by, by any means, and your dollars are going to become meaningless uh, before very long. Uh, so I'm not going to give you any financial advice. I would uh, be as prepared as you can be. But what I said uh, last week is the single best advice that I can give you is embrace Yahweh, become part of the covenant. Then mm, it doesn't matter. Then the longer you're here, the more good you can do, the more people you can encourage to be part of the covenant and live forever. So every day that you're here, no matter how rough it is, the better. And, yep. uh, and then after that, you're, uh, you have eternity in, in a marvelous universe. So that's the, uh, that's the answer to that question. And in terms of can you figure it out for yourself? Boy, you know, um, I think there's like 30 <laughs> books on the bookshelf now. Uh, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> read, read them. Yep. Uh, everything yep. that you need to know is, uh, is there. And it's uh, it's, and is, yeah, it's all presented uh, very clearly. Um, yeah, I'm I am verbose, uh, but Yahweh's verbose. Yeah, if Yahweh can tell you something in a hundred words or ten words, he's going to choose to tell you in a hundred words, because you're just not going to be able to absorb it, process it, put it into your long-term memory, and uh, and have a working understanding of it, unless somebody kind of helps you frame the, paints the picture, if you will, uh, and explains how it fits into the big picture. Uh, and that's why Yahweh well, likes people like Dode, like Moshe. Um, they didn't give you a Cliff Notes version. There's no outline. It's a lot of information, and you need to be able to process it uh, and have the want to. It's not difficult. It's really just the want to. Okay. Have any others? All right. He also, yeah, he wants to know uh, when Yahweh speaks to you, does he speak in Hebrew or English? Um, we are all um, uh, born with a, uh, uh, where our brains think in a language. I think in English. 
Uh, it's my, I, I'm sure that I'm not the most articulate person in English, and so you might question that, but nonetheless, that is my, uh, my birth language. I think in English, uh, he conveys in thoughts, uh, so uh, our communications are in, uh, in English. Uh, the more I translate, the more I spend time in his words, and you know, my working vocabulary in Hebrew is, is probably 5,000 words or, or more, uh, and I'm pretty skilled. In fact, I'm more skilled in Hebrew grammar than I am in English grammar uh, at this point. Um, and so I, even though I still think in English, my thought process is, is very significantly guided by the nature of the Hebrew language, like verbs that kind of exist throughout time mm -hmm. as opposed to uh, past and present uh, and future tenses. Uh, uh, verbs that all are uh, have stems that establish relationships of various kinds between the subject and the object over the action of the verb, uh, volitional moods. So, uh, and and then the various just the concepts of of like kodesh, what it means to be set apart uh, and therefore special uh, and uh, therefore unpopular, uncommon. Uh, so there there are just marvelous. Um, uh, aspects of Hebrew, so it has shaped my thinking. But uh, um, in this particular job, the the prophecy was that I was going to communicate in a language uh, other than Hebrew, from a place a long way from uh, Israel, and uh, that's the best uh, uh, not only I can do, uh, but it is what the world needs the most. Right. All right. He also asks if prophecy is the proof that Yahweh is God and his prophets are to be listened to, does that mean that Satan does not know the future? If so, how do Christians get revelation about things that are about to happen? Well, Christians don't. I mean, if you read... Uh, they don't? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you, uh, you, read, you read all of their books. I, mean, I, I used to uh, uh, write about, uh, uh, you know, like uh, Hagee had his, uh, his blood moons and had, was, had mm -hmm. this, this whole series of books on what was going to happen. Uh, the uh, the founder of the Seventh uh, uh, Day Adventists uh, were um, or Jeho uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. One of the two had uh, predicted yeah. that uh, God was going to return. Jesus was going to return uh, uh, at the uh, the turn of the uh, uh, a century ago. And, and no, they're just wrong on on everything. They they don't know what's going to happen. Uh, is the is the answer now. As for uh, Hasatan, uh, the adversary, uh, he can read. He's not very articulate, not very smart, but he can read. So anything that was uh, predicted by Yahweh in the Torah and Prophets, he knows. Yep. And so it isn't difficult for him to figure out that the great showdown between he and Yah, his last hurrah, is going to be in the days leading up to Yom Kippurim in year 6,000, yeah, which he knows, just as we do, is going to occur uh, at uh, sundown in Jerusalem, so uh, 22 p.m. on October 2nd, 2033. He knows that's what he's pointing to. He knows it's the day of reconciliation. So he can read. So he knows that it's going to be a time of Jacob's troubles between now and then. And he knows that everything is going to transpire in Jerusalem. So can, uh, he can read what the prophets say. Um, I, I think he has a reasonable understanding of what they say. Uh, 
but he is not himself capable of coming up with an independent prophecy. So if you read something in a religious text that isn't uh, derived from Yahweh's Torah and prophets, uh, then it is uh, something that, uh, uh, that a religious person has imagined, and it has uh, no value. It's like uh, uh, in Islam, Muhammad is called a prophet, except in the Quran, where it's acknowledged that he was he not a prophet. And he never got – there's not a single prophecy that Muhammad – that, uh, that came true and, and many that did not come true. So there is no prophet Muhammad. <clears throat> Clearly, uh, Paul, who created the Christian religion, not a prophet. Um, so lots of, uh, lots of false ones. Um, um, uh, my wife told me that somebody uh, uh, in, our, uh, in our community – asked about uh, Jonah and was Jonah a prophet and you know you can read you can read the book of Jonah in about uh, I don't know three minutes four minutes I mean it's it's a pretty short read so what would you be looking for uh, to know sometimes uh, this is an example I want to put myself out of business here I'm trying to to earn a uh, a retirement Um, so I want you to know how I would go about doing it because my process, uh, Moshe uh, gave us uh, two different times over the test to determine whether or not somebody was speaking for God and is a true prophet inspired by God or a false prophet. First thing is, do they claim to be a prophet? Jonah doesn't. Right. So he wouldn't qualify under that basis. Second is, is the, is the presentation of current and past events accurate? Jonah's case, no. Uh, right. You read that story. <laughs> it is just, oh, God, it's just nuts. I mean, uh, here's a uh, guy. Yahweh says, I want you to do something. He says, oh, no, no. <laughs> I'm going to outsmart you, God. I, I'm going to get in a boat, and I'm going to roll away from you. That'll, that'll show you. Oh, come on. You're dealing with God, and you're going to run away from You either tell him, no, I don't want to do it, like Moshe did, but you don't go run away and hide. It, Moshe just said, I, I'm not up to the task, plus uh, I don't want to go back there. And, you know, and, you know Moshe was the only choice, and God, God stuck with it, and he continued to work with it until Moshe said, okay, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll go do it. Uh, but this kind of thing that uh, God asks, and you say no, and then you run away, and he pursues you? No. God will introduce himself to you if you have disassociated from religion, but if you say, nope, I want nothing to do with you, Oslo man, you're done. Don't do that. That's what he did. Right. And then, you know, he uh, tells this whole story. If you throw me in the water, uh, so the one person that God wanted allegedly to communicate with, if you sacrifice him and throw him in the water, everything will be cool. Huh? That's exactly the opposite <laughs> the way it's supposed to work. And then the solution yeah. is he's swallowed by a whale. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. It is possible, by the way, to be swallowed by a whale. And it is possible sure. to survive being swallowed by a whale. We actually even have film of it uh, now. Yeah, you're a diver, uh, and a whale is, is, uh, is feeding on a fish. They, they can swallow you. I mean, up to you're getting their mouth. They're not going to get down their gullet. And, uh, and you can survive for you know, a short period of time. Uh, you are not going to survive in the belly of the whale 
for uh, more than about uh, five minutes, however. So that, that story is not credible. If the story is not credible, it's not true. Uh, now, and, and if God wanted to tell a story that, uh, about his protection, then he's going to protect that person in a way that is consistent with his nature. And, uh, and sea monsters swallowing people is not consistent with his nature. In fact, one of the terms that he uses for Hasatan is Loitan. Leviathan is how it's presented in, uh, in Bibles, but it's, it's Loi, as in the Levites, Loi. Tan as, uh, mm-hmm. as tan is uh, is one of the Hebrew words for snake, venomous, toxic snake. Uh, so it's a toxicity of uh, of, uh, of being united, which is what Loe means. Uh, so that's a sea monster. Sea because of the goyim, uh, and uh, and monstrous and serpentine, as in Hasatan. And so no, God's not using a sea monster. To do this, and then um, he uh, he he has his uh, uh, conniption fits every time he, he God calls him. He's throwing sand in God's face and stamping his feet and childish and say, "No, I won't do that." And he has kind of like uh, Job. What right do you have to be so angry? And then and then there's this tree, <laughs> a tree that's uh, planted. And, uh, and he curses the tree, and God gets angry from the Christian. No. There's, is there a prophecy in it? No, not one. Is there a historical story that can be validated? No. Is there things that are inconsistent with God's nature? Yes. Does he claim to be a prophet? That's what I no. thought when I read it. So, no, it's, uh, it's um, I don't even think it has any value. Now, if you're a Christian, oh, you've got a real problem. Because your Jesus quoted it and said, you know, the Son of Man will be uh, three days and three nights in the heart of the land, just like uh, Jonah was in the belly of the whale. So if you're a Christian, it's, yeah, you're in trouble. It's got to be true. Unfortunately for you, it's not. Based on it as well. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Some we have uh, another ship. question. Yes, he wants to know if you're familiar with the Nazarene okay. Acts, which All recounts. Right. Can I? Can I? Yeah. Can I? I'm going to. Yes. Um, I'm going to answer this question. Then we we probably only should take uh, a minimum quick. I'm too long-winded to have too many questions from one person. I don't think it's fair to the others okay. that have asked questions. But uh, uh, sure. go ahead and ask that, ask that question again. I'll ask. I'll answer that one, uh, and then we'll we'll move on to somebody else. Okay, this is asked but, twice. They just want to know if the Nazarene Acts could possibly be. Uh, Paul, uh, Simon, Simon Magus v. Paul, and uh, it recounts a debate taking place between Peter and Simon Magus, and they want to know if that could be Paul. Easy answer, no. It's no, it is a complete and utter waste of time. It it was uh, written, yeah, it was uh, written long, long after the time. Uh, and there are, are two Clementines that could be either one of the two. We don't even know which one. It appears to be a, uh, a homily by a, uh, a Christian made-up story, um, religious yeah. text, no, no credibility. years after Paul. Oh, God, no, no credibility whatsoever, just no. Listen, just, the Christian New Testament is well, incredible. You've all the Torah. And you, you want to talk about books that are written by numbskulls that, <laughs> that are trying to advance the myth of the Christian New Testament, that write their own stuff about it, 
No, you're going further and further down a dark rabbit hole. No, don't. No. No. Yep. No. Easy answer. No. All right. I'm going to skip down a little bit. Um, okay. Kelly asks if uh, Yawa is outside of time or since Yawa is outside of time and able to see past, present, and future simultaneously, when Yah and Dode return in 33 CE, will Yah have already experienced the event and the thousand years thereafter? And no. is that like our ability to experience? Okay. No. No. Of course not. Okay. Just because you are in a position to know the future doesn't mean you're going to choose to know it. Just because Yahweh could know all things doesn't mean that he, he does or wants to. Can you imagine being God and knowing what the, uh, the fake Estenians are plotting to do? I mean, it would be unbelievable. Can you imagine being God and being there when uh, the Herodim are, uh, are having one of their religious services? Or, you know, you've you got uh, uh, Mormons doing their thing? No. God doesn't chooses not to know about this stuff. And as it relates to his children, he, he is capable of knowing what's important for him to know and allowing the rest to play out uh, and enjoying the way that it plays out. If God knew everything we were going to do before we did it, then there would be what's no enjoyment whatsoever for him in having a relationship. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, well, you know, in my case, God couldn't find a Yehud or a Yisraelite to awaken his people. He's going to come home, and he's going to prevail, and there's going to be a wonderful reconciliation, family reunion. And so he said, I'm going to find a Goyim that's going to communicate to my people so that they're there. And uh, in terms of then how we were going to go about fleshing his story out and translating his testimony and learn and share along the way. I think a lot of it, Yahweh is experiencing uh, along with us. And I'm Mm -hmm. certain that as we move into eternity, he's going to choose not to look forward in time and enjoy the experience as it, uh, as it grows. So just because he can, uh, it doesn't mean that he will. And in most cases, he won't. And in most cases, he hasn't. Right. Okay. Joe asks, "Is how important is Yahweh's name to someone who claims to be in the covenant family but uses the name Yahweh rather than his correct pronunciation? But they still observe the feast, the Shabbat. How would Yahweh see that person in terms of his family? Um, I think on a one to ten scale, that's a one. Um, the reason for that is that the, the key aspect here is that God has a name. Now, you can do what, uh, what I did, and I spent a week doing it, where I looked at every Hebrew word in the entire uh, lexicon of the Torah and prophets that had a yod, a hey, and a wa in it, and I charted them all out in terms of how those letters were pronounced. And then I, uh, I re-examined it again from words and names which were definitive. Uh, and I came to the conclusion that it was a 99.999% likelihood that Yahweh's name is pronounced 
the Iowa. Uh, not everybody's going to do that. No, when Iowa chose to communicate his name to us and reveal his name to us, he chose Moshe to do it, and Moshe, by his own admission, had a speech impediment of some sort. We don't know what it is. So if God chose a person whose diction was not spectacular to convey his name to us, he obviously isn't concerned that you might mispronounce it. And so the answer to that question is, we have absolute proof and the choice of Moshe to reveal Yahweh's name to us that if you mispronounce it, God's not going to be upset. If you don't use it, if you negate it, if you call him the Lord, if you call him Jesus, if you call him Allah, you're in deep trouble. But if you mispronounce Yahweh and you call him Yahweh, uh, I think he'd be annoyed, but uh, not enough that that would preclude uh, entry into uh, his covenant. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that there was a question that you skipped over because I, I saw the questions uh, yes. right before, right before the show, right before the show from uh, a week ago. And uh, Stephen, who's a uh, who does us a lot of uh, good, had some questions, and I don't, I don't want to shortchange uh, uh, Stephen, so. Would you mind? Oh, I've been going, him going, for last going, Yeah, I think you skipped Stephen. So let's not skip Stephen. Yeah. Um, he uh, he does a lot of good work on behalf of uh, Yahweh's message. Yes, he does. He had some pretty interesting ones, uh, such as, have you ever seen a UFO in your lifetime or while flying a plane or at any other time? Or have you had a supernatural encounter with a spirit or been in a haunted house? <laughs> no. No, and, and the okay. reason that it's not only the answer is just simply no. Um, it, it, if you just take the words unidentified flying objects, uh, there's lots of things in the air that are unidentifiable. And that uh, <laughs> that does not mean that it's uh, any kind of hocus pocus or an alien. It's just uh, we can't discern uh, exactly what it is. I, I saw about two weeks ago the sky uh, light up in the evening towards the uh, the west, never seen anything like it, had no idea what it could possibly be. <clears throat> My wife told me there was a uh, SpaceX rocket from Florida. That's a long mm-hmm. way away from where I'm here, but it's so bright that it illuminated the uh, the western sky with a, uh, with a pattern that uh, modeled uh, it. So it was an unidentified flying object for, uh, for me that became uh, known. Um, I am, uh, I am, 99% convinced that there is life on other planets. The best we can yes. tell, there's somewhere between four and 500 billion uh, galaxies. And these galaxies can have up to 400 billion stars. Uh, probably the average is 200 billion stars. And most stars likely have planetary systems around them. And so if you're looking at the, uh, at the odds of, uh, of 400 billion galaxies over a uh, 100 billion light uh, year span, uh, averaging uh, 200 billion stars, each with you know, 5 to 10 planets around them, the likelihood of having another Earth kind of scenario, I think, is really quite high. Uh, but more than that, 
Um, Yawa loves life. He is. Mm-hmm. He thinks life is wonderful. Um, and I think when he created DNA as a three-dimensional language to be able to create a wide variety of interesting life forms, uh, that that became a blueprint to do it elsewhere. So I would strongly suspect that uh, there are life forms uh, elsewhere and that I think that will be a hugely entertaining part of us transitioning see such that we can spiritually yeah. travel through the universe. It's what he did with, uh, with Adam and, uh, and the Garden of Eden. He introduced all of these life to him, let him come up with the names for them, and, and, uh, and they spent significant amounts of time uh, sharing life. So I think it's highly likely that it exists. Now, the nature of physics is that no object, no material object of any size, can be accelerated to the speed of light. Uh, It takes infinite energy to get it there, and it uh, would expand the object to the size of the universe. So you can't get anywhere near the speed of light. And the distances are enormous, where, you know, the one side to the other of the known universe, and who knows how big it really is, is 100 billion light years. That means that 100 billion years, if you could travel the speed of light, you could get from here to there. No, the universe isn't even that old, not by a long shot. So it's just not possible for a physical being, therefore a life form, to get from one place to another. And the idea of of uh, warp speed and that sort of thing is 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 silliness. So, uh, when you this idea of a wormhole and, and black holes and, and all that sort of thing, when you get to that kind of stuff and concentrated uh, um, mass or energy, it's pure depth. It uh, sucks you in and you never get out. Uh, so if you could find a place where time is warped, it's only warped in the presence of great energy or great mass. Uh, it would become an eternal prison. Uh, and so, no, it, it, it just isn't possible. No one has ever seen an, an alien coming by here. Uh, we can't get from here to there in our present form. We'll have to become spiritual beings for that to occur. Okay. Um, he also touched on something that you had mentioned last week. He asked again about clarification regarding if a covenant member decided not to engage in uh, Masa after they had followed all the steps of Pesach, especially considering ex-covenant members. Yeah, we talked about that last week. Uh, what happens if, if you were to uh, engage in uh, Pesach, you're not circumcised as a male, uh, or you're, uh, uh, you're, you don't accept the, uh, the terms and conditions of the covenant, or you uh, celebrate Pesach without incorporating matzah, it's the worst of all possible circumstances because mm-hmm. Pesach, properly celebrated, opens the doorway to eternal life. But without matzah, you retain all of the stigma of religion. And, uh, and God's not going to tolerate any aspect of religion around him in eternity, so you would be eternal and yet eternally separated from God. And that place is called Sheol. So Pesach without Moss is a very bad thing. Matter of fact, uh, that's the nature of Judaism, by the way. Uh, uh, 
matzah is not celebrated. There is no chag matzah in uh, Judaism. And they get that from the book of Ezekiel. In the book of Ezekiel, there's only one of Yahweh's seven moed that uh, continues. It is Pesach. It is horribly corrupted. I mean, it's, it bears no resemblance to Yahweh's presentation of Pesach. And matzah is just an ingredient. So, so there is no chag matzah. Without chag matzah, Satan's plan for those who would observe it would cause everybody that follows his advice to be like him and to spend eternity in Sheol. Right. Okay, next. Okay. Hopefully he, That's it. that clarified some things for him. And uh, Cheryl yeah. asked, she, she spoke uh, to Kirk about this the other day. Um, she has two daughters, and she wants to know how a covenant person would get married. You need a state okay. marriage license. Uh, yeah, yeah. Most of this is going to be uh, uh, recorded, but not broadcast uh, live, and we may even get cut off because okay. Blog Talk Radio likes to do that uh, to me. Um, I, I love this topic because there is no marriage ceremony in the in the Torah. That whole, you know, uh, till death do us part, and uh, and forsaking all others, and all that sort of that's, that's Christian mumbo jumbo. Uh, it does not exist in the uh, in the Torah and Prophets. Uh, most of the people that Yahweh had relationships with and accomplished things with um, had uh, multiple uh, wives. Uh, Dode is the exemplar of the person Yahweh loved the most, who he calls right. He had uh, ten concubines and eight wives. Um, and you know, even Yahud, the firstborn of the covenant, uh, he's uh, out having uh, negotiating sex with whom he thinks is a temple prostitute, turns out to be his, uh, his son's wife and gets her pregnant. Uh, so, I mean, there's just a lot of stuff going on. And uh, it's very clear that there is no marriage ceremony in the Torah. You choose somebody you want to be with, they want to be with you, and you live together and uh, and. Uh, form a family, support one another, you are married from the perspective of, uh, of Yahweh. Uh, if you choose you don't want to be with that person anymore because they make you sad or you, you just don't choose to be with them for any number of reasons, the Torah solution is real simple. Write them a letter. Explain what the reasons are. Everybody goes their, uh, their separate ways. Uh, so the Torah does not have a mandate on monogamy. It does not have a, uh, a mandate on a, on a ceremony. It has uh, a very simple instruction on divorce, which is write a letter, go your separate ways. When the uh, statements recorded in stone speak of uh, you shall not consistently uh, commit adultery, it is in a spiritual context. It's a religious context. Don't be unfaithful with the relationship with Yahweh which is a theme that runs through <clears throat> throughout the prophets. Um, so the, uh, the answer is God is not a cosmic killjoy. There, is, there are very few instructions on sexuality, uh, and they run the, uh, in the issue of incest is bad, uh, rape is bad, um, uh, sex with minors, pedophilia is bad, sex with animals, uh, bestiality is, uh, is, uh, is counterproductive. Don't do those things, but God has very little to say about uh, uh, um, having uh, multiple sexual partners uh, um, and um, 
uh, someone uh, being married to uh, more than one person or even having uh, additional sexual relations uh, outside of, uh, of what one would consider uh, marriage. So um, it, is, uh, it is a religious um, ploy to restrict control. the sex. Yeah, hmm. it's a control mechanism. And I think it does tremendous harm. It, in Islam, uh, women have no rights. They're uh, controlled and abused by men. Uh, and uh, and uh, Orthodox Judaism, women have no rights. They're controlled and manipulated by men. Uh, and uh, many of the fundamentalist sects of Christianity, uh, women have no rights. They're controlled and manipulated by, uh, by men. And the men that are at the heads of these religious organizations, rabbis, priests, for example, imams, are very often sexual predators. Uh, a much higher percentage than society as a whole. So it, it creates a control mechanism that has been exceedingly counterproductive to humanity in general and women in particular. Uh, so uh, when you get into that, I think that was part of, of those who decided they, they don't like me anymore because I, um, I shared with you what uh, the prophets have to say and the writings have to say about the relationship between Dod and, and uh, Jonathan, uh, yeah, because they've been conditioned that, no, it can't be. A man can't be bisexual. Most people don't have a problem with a woman being bisexual, so we're a little hypocritical in that regard. Uh, and they don't see the, the positive of that and the, the teaching that goes along with it and the implications for our time. And they're so conditioned by religion's influence on our culture that they will throw it all away uh, just because it's uh, uncomfortable uh, yeah. for them. I mean, I had this problem when I was uh, dealing with uh, Ezekiel. There, there are two chapters in Ezekiel uh, that one presents uh, Satan uh, essentially uh, raping um, uh, Chawa. It's uh, uh, and him having her, his way, uh, and it's exceedingly explicit sexually. And then there's one that follows it that's far worse, where he is a pimp, and uh, Israeli women, Jewish women, are uh, his prostitutes, and he speaks graphically of, uh, of uh, the abuse of them. And when I wrote that, and I, and I translated it based upon the actual text, and it's, you know, it's exceedingly graphic. And, you know, you get a lot of pushback. You say, you know, you can't say that stuff in polite society. But that's what it says. You know, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to soften it so that Ezekiel sounds better? Or do we just lay it out and say, this is what it is? And if you can't engage in a conversation about human sexuality and the abuses of it, Maybe that's your, your upbringing and that maybe you need to shed some of that anxiety and be prepared to have an honest discussion because how in the world are you going to preclude the, the, this dehumanizing and demonizing of women and particularly Jewish women in the book of Ezekiel if you aren't going to talk about it? Right. So uh, 
uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a subject that I that I think is important for us to discuss because almost all of the you better not have fun with that. That is a no, no. Sexuality is is a man-made control mechanism, and that uh, God invented it. Uh, uh, sexual relations between men and women that are uh, uh, mutually uh, uh, chosen uh, and uh, and not abusive should be fun. Right. It should be uh, it should be a wonderful way of uh, of expressing. Uh, affection for uh, for one another and it ought to be playful and uh, and fun and so i understand there's a lot of people that uh, because of this culture just say they they can't handle that but that's that's nonetheless what the words say uh, anytime there is is activity that is um, sexually different than the mores of our society you do not find God saying, "No, no, no! I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm angry at you. It's off to hell with you because uh, you uh, uh, had more than one wife, or uh, or you had concubines, whatever it might be." No, it just doesn't exist. Um, right. I mean, the uh, the when when somebody is raped, you know, in the case of what happened with you know Benjamin and the uh, and the rape and the dismemberment of the woman. Oh man, yeah, he's all over that. Yeah, that that's really bad. Um, when uh, Dode made the horrible decision to send uh, Uriah, his uh, uh, very loyal, good man, off into a battle that he th- thought he would lose, so that he could take his uh, his wife uh, Bathsheba. Yeah, well, it was all over that. Said no, that was a really rotten, terrible thing to do. To be ashamed of yourself. But it had nothing to do with going from seven wives to eight wives. It had nothing to do with the uh, the additional conquest. It had all to do with no. What you do? That was a conniving and uh, underhanded and disrespectful, and it's not the way you should treat someone. So it's God's thoughts on it anyway. I'm sure we didn't get okay. to the uh, the end of all of the questions. Uh, we should probably go back to our regular format, and we'll return to this and maybe we can do uh, once a month or something we'll collect uh, the more interesting uh, questions uh, and you're you know feel free to share them uh, on social media uh, with D who, who uh, uh, reviews all of that and good questions uh, come I, I had one that came to me uh, today I think is when I first saw it and a uh, gentleman um, whose um, son is not circumcised and his wife uh, is oh, yeah. vehement uh, yeah, against it, and um, he himself is circumcised. He wants to be part of the covenant. He wants to attend Pesach, but he was concerned that the fact that his son was not circumcised on the eighth day, that he would be precluded. And, you know, the answer is no. He would not. You're, God cannot hold you accountable for what you did before what you, you knew it. you can control. And, uh, mm-hmm. you, you know, you can control your own circumcision, but if you're married and, and the mother of that child says absolutely not, you you can't go and uh, and perform the uh, the act on that child. And second of all, uh, this particular individual made a very wise choice, uh, a decision. He said, you know, I think I'm better off staying involved in my son's life and teaching him about Yahweh so that he chooses to uh, mm-hmm. 
to embrace uh, the covenant than I am if I simply walk away. I happen to agree with him. I, I think he, uh, in fact, everything he wrote, this individual, I, I think was uh, was wise and uh, and informed, and look forward to him becoming part of the covenant. And you know, he may or may not uh, succeed with his uh, wife and uh, with um, his son. You know, we we all have various degrees of success and failures with uh, those around us because yeah was not very popular uh, he should be but he isn't um, mm-hmm. so there are far more people who are going to choose not yeah than will choose uh, yeah any other well, questions before we, we leave go ahead Kirk. no i just saying moshe had that problem remember he his, his wife well, they had a big argument about circumcision and she didn't she yeah. circumcise the child yeah. and throw, throw the parts at him so, I yeah. mean, um, here's your bloody thing, whatever. But, yeah, yeah. so uh, it's not unprecedented. I mean, you're not in a situation yeah. that's not been done before. So, yeah, yeah. it's right. tough. Yeah, anyway. Yes, and clearly Moshe was in a different position because, uh, you know, Moshe is, uh, is the great liberator, the great prophet, the uh, marvelous exemplar. Uh, you know, Moshe is not the average fellow. I, no, you know, as as much as I love Dode and Yahweh loves Dode, I, I I think Moshe is the most extraordinary man who ever lived. Um, sure. So when when you know that he's dealing with something, then it's it's tough. You know, uh, it's like that whole episode in the the waters of Meribah where Moshe essentially gave up. Um, he says, you know, these people are way too contentious. I, yeah. Um, yeah, I I just can't handle <laughs> it anymore. Out of here. And yeah. I, I want to get out of here. And, and Yahweh says, listen, I, I get it. Uh, uh, I'll give you a personal uh, private tour of the promised land. I'm going to show you every aspect of it. So this idea that Moshe was prohibited from going in is nonsense. He, Yahweh flew him around, got to see the whole thing. And, and of course, oh, he, he'll get to live in it forever. So that's also uh, a, a, a Moshe is an exceptional man. Uh, and yes, did he have his moments where he wasn't perfect? <laughs> yeah, but sure. I want to tell you, you know, I uh, um, at the end of uh, of the book of Ezekiel, it is so disgusting, and you recognize that this book has traumatized, uh, dehumanized, demonized Jews, and put them in a position for mass extermination. There is nothing that was ever written that has been as hostile to or as oppressive towards Jews as the book of Ezekiel. And, and you realize that it's only there because someone who was Jewish wrote it. Their Hebrew wasn't very good, but it was good enough to write it. And it was all religious Jews who maintained copies of it rather than throwing it away. And it yeah. was religious Jews who said it belongs among the prophets, which is where the Christians found it, and, oh, they loved it. Yeah. But it's frustrating to have your life's mission to reach out to and awaken Jews so that they embrace Yahweh when you know they have done this to themselves. It's hard. Yeah. And so uh, that's part of the uh, of the story is that God's people don't make it easy. And 
And if you want to see a wonderful example of that, read about the, the waters of Meribah. You know, it's, it's interesting, too, that when Satan's redefining the borders of Israel, um, the southern border is based upon the waters at Meribah. And wow. the reason for that has nothing to do with the border, not going into Arabia. It has all to do with every time he has the opportunity to raise a point that is embarrassing to Yahweh and to his people, he does. You know, the other part of that southern border was uh, uh, Tamar. And Tamar, there's two of them. Um, one is uh, Dode's daughter that was raped by his eldest son, mm-hmm. who was then murdered by uh, Absalom, who turned uh, traitor. I mean, it's an exceedingly embarrassing moment in the life of uh, Yisrael and in Dode. Wants to remind him of that. Uh, Yaud, Judah, the firstborn of, uh, of Jacob, uh, the, uh, the woman that he introduced to his, uh, his firstborn son that became the wife of his firstborn son, who then pretended to be a prostitute that he negotiated sex with and impregnated after his son had uh, died. Guess what her name was? No, Satan's not kidding around, man. He find something that's embarrassing to to Yahud, to uh, Israel, to Yahweh, he's all over that. And so it's... And therefore, uh, he can obviously read. Yeah. I mean, you, you even look at uh, Gog. That name wasn't chosen out of oblivion. It's only mentioned once. Um, and where it is mentioned, he is the, uh, the offspring of Reuben. What did Reuben do? Well, Reuben was... Yeah. disinherited wrong because bed. yeah he uh, went in the wrong bed man he he had uh, just to be mean about it he had sex with uh, Billa um, who was the mother of, uh, of two of his brothers no it's just bad stuff so he, he's trying he's trying deliberately trying to uh, antagonize them you, you know you, you read about uh, the, he's got this layer cake of uh, rearranging um, territory for the uh, the uh, twelve tribes, and actually does it for for uh, thirteen tribes. He gives uh, Lowy land, uh, uh, and <laughs> what you find is that it's just all listed like you're checking out lentils at the grocery store. Like okay, this and this and this and this, until you get to Yahuda, and then he carves out spaces out of Yahuda for his prince, who is the uh, incarnation of uh, of Satan during the last days. Uh, and for um, uh, for the Loewe and for uh, his uh, complex, which is like Auschwitz on steroids. And it, the habitable portion of the territory that he is uh, offering to Yehuda is um, 370 square miles. The amount of land that he carves out for his prince, for the Loe, for the city, and for his mega complex, from Yehuda is 370 square miles. His goal is to bury the city of Jerusalem so it no longer exists and to deprive Yehuda, uh, the beloved of Yahweh, of everything. Fortunately, Ezekiel's temple will never see the light of day. Mm. But rabbis should have been able to figure that out. They should have known why this is wrong. 
I know they they uh, they heard Dame. They don't teach uh, the sciences. They don't, they don't teach it. them geometry. Yeah. They don't teach them geometry, but it's pretty simple geometry. And they don't teach them math, but it's pretty simple math. Um, and maybe they can't figure it out because they just don't have the skills anymore. But um, uh, they can read Yada Yawa. That uh, actually the Babylonian <laughs> Babel series because it's all spelled out for them uh, there. All right. Well, Another thank joke. you. I, I don't know if any, everybody else is, uh, likes these Q and A uh, shows. You can they tell have. that I like. You can tell I that do. I like I mean, them. It's, it's, yeah, it's like I drinking like wine with you at your table. We can talk about all that kind of stuff. It's cool. Yeah, the, the reason I like them a lot is um, with Q and A, you have the opportunity to not only teach, but teach on subjects that are obviously interested, interesting to family members and those who are considering becoming part of the family. That's rewarding. Yeah. Uh, but sure. it also gives you the opportunity to be extemporaneous. <clears throat> and that's, that's the difference between not knowing and knowing and then going the extra step to understanding. <clears throat> if you've taken the time to know what Yahweh says and then understand his approach, when you're given a question – you may not know the specific answer to that question, but you're going to be able to share information that will help uh, everyone uh, answer the important aspect of that uh, question. Uh, it was mm -hmm. uh, just like our uh, review of what the text says about uh, Jonathan and David. Uh, I can't tell you how far they went sexually. I mean, obviously, they were fawning all over each other, and they were kissing one another. We know that. We don't know anything beyond that, but what we know is how important that relationship was and how extraordinary those men were and the effect of trauma bonding. We know and we can learn tremendous things from, uh, from that. So that's the advantage of, uh, of the Q&A opportunity is it gives you the opportunity to be extemporaneous and I, I just think it uh, it adds credibility. Another uh, dimension, yeah, absolutely. Right, not, yeah, yeah. Not not everybody does. We, we had some people that found the door uh, and kicked some sand in our way on their way out. And you know that's okay. You know we're we're uh, uh, we don't have a clubhouse. <laughs> no clubhouse here. No, we don't. Uh, we've uh, and you, we've got. And you ain't uh, looking for no, followers no, either. No probably. annual dues. Yeah. No uh, no donations accepted. We don't count uh, followers. Uh, there's no attaboys or attagirls. Um, the, the ultimate thing in the end is how I ended the book on Ezekiel. Uh, if mm -hmm. you're going to be counted among those who are celebrating Sukkah uh, with our Heavenly Father upon his return, will there be anyone there who will look to you and to say, what you did made a difference and is one of the reasons that I'm here. And uh, that, that really should be our motivations. Are we helping others come to know Yahweh and be part of his covenant family? And if we are, and then, then that's the ultimate reward in this life. Mm. All right, my friends. Yeah. I think we've, we've worn it out for today. For today. <laughs> it's been fun to uh, be with you. And to, uh, as I say, we'll, we're going to return to our normal format uh, next week and then do uh, 
question and answer periodically uh, uh, after that, unless we we get the response uh, after this show. Please don't do that to us again. And then, then we'll go back to the <laughs> I highly doubt it. <laughs> All right. Good to have you back, Kirk. Right, glad yeah. that uh, glad that there's back you. I'm glad power now survived. in uh, California. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that Gen Invest in Gen Airs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Blessings to you all. Mm. Uh, good night. Good night, y'all. Happy yeah. Shabbat. Shalom, shalom, yeah, absolutely. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.